you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. So thankful for Dick serving as liturgist today and, um, and for the team that pulls off worship. Rachel could read the phone, or sing the phone book, y'all, and it would be incredibly moving. But then Janelle just picks out these songs that just hit right every time. Three years in, I don't think I've demanded a song yet, have I? Okay. Because um, the Spirit works in Janelle to bring things together like this, where really I feel like I don't even need to preach. I should just sit down and you can go back and re-listen uh, to this picture of, of reflecting on the beauty of Christ and what it means uh, to, to find beauty in the body of Christ, to, to reflect on the love of Christ and what it means for uh, the body to love. Um, thank you Let's pray. Gracious God, you are beautiful, and your love is indescribable. And yet we try to grasp hold of who you are and whose we are. And, and we try to be faithful to the call you've placed in our lives. Would you open our hearts and minds to hear fresh from your word today and then to go forth in your spirit uh, to share the love of Christ with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Who in here is playing Wordle fairly regularly? Okay. Do you think you're pretty good at it? All right. We, we've... We've got some uh, measured, measured reaction there. Not great at it. Okay, maybe a little bit. And then some of you are like, yep, I'm incredible at it. So we're going to do Christian Wordle today. So there was enough of you that said you're good at it that I'm going to need somebody to volunteer to come and do Wordle. All right. Marilyn and Connie, can you come up and be, uh, can I get you two to come up and help me, Marilyn and Connie? No, I want you to come, Kathy. Are you coming? I want you two to help me. Yeah, I'll volunteer, Kathy. I do. All right. Uh, I'm I'm pretty tech savvy, but trying to pull off creating our own Wordle that we set up on a computer so it looked real fancy wasn't going to work. Will you help me? Yes. We're going to hold this. Okay, got it. All right. So Kathy's going to write a five-letter word, and we are going to mark if she has something in the right spot. We'll put a box around it. If she has the right letter but in the wrong spot, we'll put a line under it. And everything that's wrong, we're going to mark out. She has six chances to get a five-letter word. Do you start with the same word every time? Okay, so we're going to see Kathy's cheat word uh, that she uses every time. I start with aisle, A-I-S-L-E, because it hits some really great high-frequency letters. But let's see what Kathy's first word first is. Stare. You don't want to mess somebody up by marking out the wrong letters. I had to think about it. That's why I needed the boxes, but I can't draw good boxes on a whiteboard, and Darren was laughing at me, so I got rid of my boxes. Stick. 
huh, choir. So I even gave Kathy that uh, the box was in the right place and she moved it. Oh, oh well, I, so. <laughs> I didn't know your dad doesn't, I didn't know what color that was. What's the wrong color? Well, it's not different colors, it's marked out yeah, with an X. You didn't say it was in the right spot. <laughs> I did, I said a box was the right spot. I mean, what's in the right, what's in it, but not in the right spot? A line oh, under. A line under. Okay. I mean, I said it, but you were really focused on your first word. You just messed up a whole line for me, but that's okay. Well, if you're that good, you only need three guesses. So. How much time do we have? Because, you know, I like to take a lot of time. Um, I hope this. Is that in the that's right circle? That's squared, so it's in the right place. Um, so you have two of the five letters. I feel like our brain is clicking on what this might be. Well, you, well, right, because you have to make up a word sometimes to do that, right? You're like, X, X, O, R, X, to try to see what could look there. And I don't have an eraser up here either, so she can't do that, like, push the button and then it's not even a real word. Hmm. All right, Kathy. I, I know. Okay. I know. <laughs> uh. Do we need to phone a friend, Kathy? She got it on the third guess because y'all gave her the answer. I, I, I heard the Monahans over there working this one out. I don't know who else helped, but. Right. So, Glory. Christian Wordle, right? Thank you. Thank you. Christian Wordle. Who thought it'd be a thing? We'd, we, we'd take a hold of everything. Glory. If you had to define it, could you? Could you define glory? There's a whole lot less, a whole lot fewer confident head shakes about defining glory than there were about playing Wordle. Um, fair enough, I've studied this, and coming up with a definition is hard. Glory is this word that we use in the church a lot, and it comes from the Greek word. Uh, doxa, uh, doxologia, good words or uh, praiseworthy words. It's where we get doxology. We, we doxazo, we, we sing praises to God. We uh, hold God in awe and reverence and praise and worship. Um, it, it's this, this, this respect for and love of something that is so good. Um, glory is multifaceted and and, uh, and you know it when you see it. So there are moments in the life of the church where you look and you go, and God, God is so good. The church is uh, so beautiful in this moment. Um, I can't help but give thanks. And, and you glorify God. The Psalms are full of it. Uh, sing praises to the Lord. Sing of the Lord's glory and goodness. This thing that says that God is more, uh, more worthy of praise than anything else. That, that, uh, that there's a resplendence uh, to God. 
See, it's not easy to just write down a definition for glory, right? I literally went through and did the Greek words and the Hebrew words, and I couldn't give you a simple definition. Glory, the problem with that is glory is at the center of so much as what we do at the church. Uh, when I teach seminarians uh, kind of worship 101, I ask them to define worship, and that's about as hard to define as glory, right? Uh, kind of my working definition is that worship is where the body of Christ comes together to glorify God, which is different than where I understood worship for most of uh, my, my early years of ministry. For about the first 10 years when I was doing youth ministry, worship is where we came to, to be fed or to be um, whatever it might be for that day. And it made me very judgmental of worship. Um, I'd go to somebody else's service and be like, mm, we could have done that song better. Mm, that, that whatever, right? But something has shifted to understand worship as to to lift up the mag- magnitude of God, to, to uh, bring reverence for God, to, to, to praise God. And it's uh, the very first thing Jesus starts talking about in this farewell discourse. Uh, this is a common rhetorical strategy in uh, Greco-Roman literature, and John picks it up immediately. Uh, a farewell discourse often finishes stories, and and the primary character will draw together those who are beloved, say something about God, and then charge those beloved people to go do something because they're leaving. Uh, Jesus uh, begins the farewell discourse at this moment. Uh, the book of Acts is split into two pieces, two main units. If you're uh, doing inductive Bible study in Maryland and Holly, the book of John is broken into two main units. And this unit uh, right here, this is right at the beginning where we shift from Jesus' public ministry to this private upper room ministry. And really the rest of the book becomes the farewell discourse. For the first half of John's gospel, uh, he does a sign and then explains it. In the second half, he's going to explain everything and then go do the sign. So instead of healing and explaining, he's going to say, I am going. Here's what I need you to do. And then he goes and dies. And so this first charge of the, of the farewell discourse is to look at the glory of God. And I love it. Jesus says, uh, God is glorified, God, God is being glorified, and God will be glorified in and through me. And so Jesus takes up this picture of, of uh, establishing the grandeur of God through the things he has done, is doing, and will do. We know the rest of the story. The disciples don't quite yet get what's happening, but we know that the events that unfold in the upper room and in the garden and the Sanhedrin, all these are moments that glorify God. And then he says, and I have a new commandment for you. So he has gathered his friends, he's talked about God, and now he gives them their so, go, and do. This is my commandment that I have for you, Love each other just as I have loved you, so you must also love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. We make discipleship pretty complicated at times, but here Jesus says, this is the marker of a disciple. It's not that you finish discipleship intensive. It's not that you serve on 16 committees. It's not any of these other things, which are great things. You should definitely do Bible studies. You should definitely serve in the life of the church. But the measure of you being my disciple is that you love. And right in the middle of this, there's a a little throwaway word uh, that you love 
just as I have loved you. If we read quickly, we just think, okay, so I love, so now you love. But this word um, might be more accurately translated, and some other translations pick this up as, uh, in the way that I have loved you, you must go and love. This is how people will know that you're my disciple. Just as I have loved you. And in this moment for the disciples, all they have is what's happened before to look at and and seeing the ways that Jesus has uh, lived and loved. But we get the benefit of the rest of the story and seeing what it means to fully uh, understand Jesus' love. And so as people who uh, sat there in the basking of God's glory, and now as people who come to glorify the Lord, we are asked to love in the same way Christ loved. This can become our very lens through reflecting on all of our relationships. That instead of comparing my marriage or my friendship or my relationship with my parents to uh, your friendship and your relationships and your relationships with your parents, now we look at every relationship in terms of how, how does that love look compared to the love of Christ? Does that friendship uh, make me um, well up with a desire to uh, be self-sacrificial? Does that uh, person uh, help spur me on to a cruciform life where I'm willing to lay down my life for them? Does this humble submission um, come into play or does uh, power dynamics come into play? It, It becomes the lens to look and say, may I be more like this? I'll I'll confess to you, I am not fully sanctified yet. I have not been made completely holy. I am on my way, and I'm more confident than ever that I am going to get there. But there are things that God is having to work out in me. And as I've begun to grasp with this idea of of looking at uh, love through the lens of how Christ loved us, it has made me do things like in my prayer journal, which none of you will ever find, uh, and none of you are in there, don't worry. In the back of it, I have this list that literally says, teach me to love them the way you love them. And some people get off the list because I've get, I, and then some people get back on the list. And, uh, but this daily practice of saying, help my love for them be the way that you love them. Because we, we can uh, sentimenta- sentimentalize, is that a real word? Kathy nodded. We'll, we'll go with it. Sentimentalize love as just this uh, affection, right? Just this outward or, or inward. Like, it's like I like you, but more. Um, and you can mean that in, in, a, in a romantic, erotic way, or you can mean it in a friendship way, but it, it can be here. But what if it's here? Um, that makes it a lot harder for those people that we just tolerate, right? Um, makes it a lot harder for those people who have caused us harm. Now, Jesus uh, loved deeply even the people that caused harm, but he got away from them. Uh, there are times in the story where Jesus goes, I love them, but they're going to kill me. I've got to get out of here. So this is not an invitation uh, to go and be a, a whipping boy or girl, to go and live in something toxic. Instead, it's a, uh, maybe even the most cruciform way of loving is to get out of that. Um, but it's to evaluate our love in light of Christ's love. I think uh, if, if that can become our kind of discipleship thing for the next year, if at every point we go, is this helping us love more as Christ loved us? I think that will sufficiently keep, sufficiently keep us busy for the whole year. I'm seeing enough head nods that you can think about this, right? That, that uh, this move from 
um, affection to cruciform love uh, is enough. And it is the mark of discipleship. John, John gives us the discourse and then shows us what it looks like. May we go and love as Christ first loved us. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we uh, maybe see your love no more clearly than at this table. That, um, that your love looked like dying for us. Rising for us. Entrusting us with your spirit and your church. And meeting us fresh each day. Lord, reveal to us ways that we might love as you have loved us. Show us what cruciform life looks like. Show us what it means to reflect uh, your glory, your majesty, your might, your love and your compassion, your tenderness, uh, and your goodness to the world. I pray this in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.